You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Schoolyard bullying takes many forms. Kids might be picked on because of their race, religion, gender, weight or sexuality. Safe schools in Victoria began to began in order to provide resources to help school staff create more inclusive environments for same-sex attracted, intersex and gender diverse students, school staff and families. But in 2016, safe schools came under attack by some News Corp journalists, conservative and Christian right commentators and politicians who whipped up a media frenzy of misinformation. The suicide of Tyrone Unsworth, who was bullied mercilessly for being gay, prompted journalist and author Benjamin Law to write about homophobia, safe schools and the role of the media. Producer Cinnamon Nippard spoke to Ben Law and began by asking him to clarify what the safe schools program is really all about. If you've read about safe schools in the media, you've probably heard of it as the controversial safe schools program. But on the very basic level, all safe schools is, is an initiative that has both federal and state funding invested in it at some stage. And all it asks of principals and teachers is to simply pledge to keep their LGBTIQ kids safe without even necessarily a guarantee that they can. And that's kind of it. And I think anyone who's been following the Safe Schools saga might be surprised by that. I certainly was when I started writing this essay. And why is it necessary? Are homophobic slurs still the worst slurs in the schoolyard, do you think? I'm not sure if you can really grade, you know, a slur's a slur. If you are bullied or harassed or targeted because of your race or your looks or your disability or whatever, that that's going to hurt. But I think homophobia and transphobia are kind of particular in how they affect people. Um, when you think about it being called gay, it's still the only slur associated with an identity that can be used to describe anything as as bad, essentially. So I think that's one thing that maybe indicates that still being queer is the worst thing you can be in the schoolyard. And I guess the other thing is when you look at the stats, um, LGBTIQ young people, whether they're kids or teenagers, are still at the highest risk of suicidality, of um, being discriminated against, and they've got far higher rates of truancy and non-completion compared to their cisgender and heterosexual peers. So all evidence suggests that we've got a really strong problem. And unlike, you know, say if you come from a racial minority or a religious minority, as a queer kid, when you go home at the end of the day, you're probably not going home to a queer family. So you might not have the support there and you might not have the support at school either. And that becomes a problem. And this is a, a bit of a personal question, but mm. what was it like for you growing up? Were you bullied at all? I was kind of lucky, so you can't necessarily hear this through the radio, but I am Asian Australian, and I grew up in a part of Australia that was very, very white. So in the first instance, if people saw something about me that they thought to pick on. It it was my race. I think I've kind of gotten away with my sexuality because people couldn't understand you could possibly be Asian and gay at the same time. So I was kind of lucky. At the same time, I grew up in Queensland. Queensland was the last mainland state in Australia to legalise, you know, essentially being gay. And so for a long time in my childhood, in my teen years, I really wrestled with it. It was the worst thing you could be in the schoolyard. It would have been social suicide to have come out as who I was. Um, And those who 
um, you know, were even rumoured to be different, were savagely, savagely abused and harassed for it. So, so if you were, as I was, gay in the schoolyard, you lived under this constant threat of exposure, and that really does a lot of psychological damage. Yeah. I also know, like, I have friends who... I went to a co-ed high school, mm. and I have friends who went to single-sex high schools, and... Among my friends who went to all boys high schools, mm. like yeah, the homophobic slurs that were thrown around were really bad, and it didn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily directed at someone who was gay, but no. somebody who was seen as weak or I don't know. And I'm so glad you've brought this up because when it comes to safe schools and especially the political conversation around it, some people are saying, well, this isn't necessary, and in fact, it's reverse discrimination. Why are we why are we just focusing on LGBTIQ kids? But the point that you bring up is so correct and I think every Australian who's been through the school system knows that homophobia doesn't just affect young queer or questioning people. It affects all of us. Um, These slurs are used to police our behaviour, to enforce a model of masculinity, of a very particular Australian femininity as well. And so homophobia isn't just this uh, niche boutique type of harassment, it, it affects everyone who goes to school. That's an interesting phrase, niche boutique <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a bespoke form of harassment. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, one thing I wanted to ask was, why do you think certain sections of the media went so vehemently after safe schools? I think there are a few reasons. One, I don't think we can discount how much homophobia there still is in the adult Australian population. And I think that's really been brought to light with the debate around the same-sex marriage survey that's going on at the moment. It's, I think it's kind of shocked a lot of Australians, whether you're straight or otherwise, how much homophobia there still is within people who hold positions of power. Um, and as much as it really pains me as, as a member of the queer community to be going through this process, part of me is also like, well, I'm glad that you're seeing what queer people face. We don't make it up. That stuff really exists. So I think that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that a moral panic sells. So when the Australian newspaper, when News Corp tabloid titles like the Daily Telegraph and Herald Sun really go after safe schools, they really whip up a frenzy. This idea that gay activists are accessing classrooms and teaching your kids about LGBTIQ when they don't even know the three R's, which of course isn't even what safe schools is, but it's a really interesting kind of scary and controversial story to sell and you can really get worked up about it. So it represented a good business model as well. Um, And I think finally that when it comes to kids, we want to protect them from the adult world. And so our anxieties about them being knowledgeable about sex or gender um, understandably makes us anxious as adults and especially as parents. And what were the things that worried you most about what was coming out in the media and that prompted you to write this essay? Well, when I first started getting angry about safe schools, I now look back and realise I didn't even really know what it was. And one of the main reasons I wanted to write this essay is I think both critics of safe schools and supporters of safe schools don't actually know what they're arguing about because it's been so misrepresented in the media that we're having debates and arguments on really shaky ground that's been built on misinformation and bad faith. So in a way, when I started writing the essay, I wanted to write what I wanted to read, which is, what is safe schools? 
How did it become so controversial? And what should we know as adults, as guardians, as parents about what's happening in our schools? And I think um, in so many ways, uh, a lot of people will be shocked when they read when they read what I discovered. Yeah, I mean, reading it, your tone was really measured and really... So, I don't know how to explain, like supportive. I'm trying to like... be fair as well because I don't think when we when we talk about the people who are anti-safe schools or perhaps on the no side of the same-sex marriage campaign, it's very easy to dismiss them as um, you know homophobes or whatever. With safe schools, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think we need to step back and perhaps both sides of the so-called debate need to acknowledge something difficult to stomach, which is everyone actually wants the same thing which is to keep kids safe. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that we all have different interpretations of what keeping kids safe means. So what I want to do with this essay is try to come to a baseline of agreement. What does the safety of children actually mean? And I think for all of us, we can agree that it's freedom uh, from danger, freedom from bullying, and freedom from mental anguish as well, which I know sounds very, very dramatic. But um, when I spoke to LGBTIQ kids, questioning kids and teenagers, you really get a palpable sense of that. And their voices have been lost in this whole debate. And what do you think have been the ramifications of this really public debate about safe schools and about same-sex marriage? I think the really horrible thing is that children have been used as collateral damage in an adult fight that's essentially about ideology. Um, We're not looking at the practical facts of what safe schools is. We aren't looking at... um, expert advice from educational experts, from psychological experts. There was a reason why Safe Schools started with bipartisan support from both state and federal governments, because it was deeply uncontroversial and it was based in a lot of great research in the first place. And if we can't step back to take a look at what Safe Schools might have to offer and have a sane, measured conversation about it, We really are doing our kids a great disservice. And I start the essay with um, the really tragic case of a young person taking their life, 13 years old. And I don't do that simply for shock value. This is something that happened in Australia and that child deserved better by adults. And what role do you think the media has in protecting kids in Australia? I think they've got an obligation to get the story right. I mean, they're not trusted to be the guardians of children's safety necessarily, but when you're talking about the safety of children, when you're talking about children's welfare, the stakes suddenly become really higher. And I think that's been one of the really disappointing things as someone who works in journalism to see colleagues of mine not adhere to basic codes of conduct and mislead um, I think in bad faith, their their readership about what Safe Schools actually was. That's that's really disappointed me. Yeah, one quote that um, really struck me was when you said, when it comes to protecting kids for the writers at the Australian, the people who attacked Safe Schools, there's kind of a hierarchy of kids who are worth protecting. Yeah, and I think that's that's seen when you spend 90,000 words, which is basically the size of a PhD thesis, uh, writing about safe schools over one year. So this is what the Australian did. The Australian, that amounts to at least one story every two days. And when stories weren't being published about safe schools, they were running very vicious letters from the editor. And over that many words, over that much coverage, you don't speak to one young person. And you don't even, and you don't speak to one LGBTIQ person. And that's what the program is about. Why not? 
I would think that it's because you don't actually think that their welfare is worth your consideration, and that that really worries me. And lastly, what message would you like to give to parents and teachers? Um, first of all, if there is a viral video going on around Facebook about what Safe Schools is, and it's one person simply telling you this information to a camera, I would ask where their evidence is. So there are there is a lot of misinformation that's being purposefully spread by members of political parties with vested interests to bring Safe Schools down. And they are lying um, because they don't have any evidence to back up their claim. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is if you have concerns about your school being a safe school, talk to your principal and teacher. They'll outline exactly what it is. Or better yet, go online and look at the information. Safe Schools Coalition Australia, Safe Schools Coalition Victoria, two organisations that deliver safe schools, they are very transparent about what safe schools is and what it isn't as well. In terms of the optional resources that have become controversial, which are optional for teachers to use, um, look them up online and see for yourself as well. Do you think they're worth the controversy? And I think what you'll find and what most um, you know, fair-minded Australian parents will find is how tame, joyous and inclusive those resources are. They've been approved by educational experts and departments of education on both state and federal levels. Actually, I have one more question. Yeah, please okay? do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to ask, what kind of a difference do you think it would have made to you as a young person growing up if safe schools have been around then? I think a huge difference because, as I said at the start, safe schools on a very fundamental level is asking principals and teachers to make an extra effort to keep LGBTIQ kids safe. How they actually implement that is completely up to them. But even knowing that my teachers and my principal were aware of the fact that I even existed as an LGBTIQ person would have been would have been massive for me. I, w- I don't think I needed any special treatment, but just knowing they had my back, knowing that if I was to be called something in the schoolyard that they would address it specifically as wrong behaviour, that that would have really fortified me and made me feel more confident about about going to school generally. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing. A lot of teachers don't know how to deal with it. Mm. If it happens in the classroom, I have friends who... Yeah, they were called names in the classroom and the teacher just told them to sit down and didn't offer any kind of support at all. No, and I think teachers are a little bit understandably afraid because when you talk about sex, sexuality, gender, that's a really touchy thing. And parents um, have all sorts of different attitudes that they bring to to school in terms of what they feel comfortable with their kids being taught or not. So teachers don't feel confident about how to address those issues, even if it is delivered as bullying as well. What Safe Schools does is equip those teachers. And we also need to keep in mind that this is a resource that was developed because of a demand from principals and teachers and school communities in the first place. School communities have been saying for a really long time, we need extra support in this area to make sure that LGBTIQ kids are safe. Where is that support? It's been delivered. It's been made into a controversy. And I would say that most people, when they realise what the program is, will see it as very uncontroversial. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on board. That's Benjamin Law. He's a journalist and author, and he was speaking with Kindling producer Cinnamon Nippard. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. 
It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.